to the Next Wave Radio Hour from WERU Community Radio, a program featuring folks around their 20s and 30s from across Maine. I'm your host, Olivia Peruk, and I use she, her pronouns. In this show, I hope to provide you with unique perspectives of life from the next generation working to create the future they hope to see. This episode is dedicated entirely to a conversation I had with local acclaimed Maine fiddler, Gus Lacasse. We speak about his connection to music, life during the pandemic, educational paths, and our dreams for Maine. My name is Gus. I use he, him pronouns, and I would say my most prominent job occupation title would be noise merchant. Noise merchant. Fiddler. Nice. I like that. That's very fun. Is there some reason noise merchant instead of a musician? Um, no. Just. (laughs) Just fun. (laughs) Yeah, just have fun with it, you know. Not to take it too seriously, and the whole point of it is fun. So I'll say musician, fiddler, um, but yeah, noise merchant, just to have be light with it. Nice. I enjoy that. So kind of to start off, I'd love to get a little bit more of a holistic perspective of Gus. So maybe if we go travel all the way back to a young, younger Gus, and what did your childhood look like? How did that form and maybe shape where you are today? Yeah, so I grew up in Trenton. Um, I grew up. I was. I'm actually an only child. Oh. Yep. So, um, that was definitely important growing up. I um, I grew up and um, I wasn't particularly musical till I was like I I liked music, but I wasn't musical till I was like six, and then I started playing the fiddle. And that all got going from there. Um, I, I was classically trained. And then it was like that weird time where like it's practicing is kind of tricky if like you're a small person. So mm. um, I was much more taken to playing soccer or doing that instead of practicing. And then I I evolved into becoming like more less of a classical player and more of someone who plays fiddle music and that sort of changed things for me and I was and I would say musically that's been my angle and then that's led to tons of performances um around Maine and different parts of the country as well um I am someone who grew up basically hiking mm-hmm. in the park um I love hiking. It's still something near and dear to me, but I'd say it's something very foundational mm-hmm. to how I see the world. <laughs> yeah, um, it's something very foundational to how I see the world, and um, and it has influenced me greatly. Um, and yeah, that's really cool. What is it about hiking that you think is it like just being one with nature or the space? What is it? Both. That, yeah. Like yeah, being one with nature and the space to think. Um, Mm -hmm. I think is really special and also too like when I go hiking on so many of these like places I've 
I've been before when I, it all sort of, or even somewhere new, it just feels all the same. Like, I feel like, oh, um, I'm like, like, I feel like I'm young again, almost uh, mm. like I'm just like jumping around on rocks and like <laughs> doing stuff that's like very hazardous, but like, it's out of fun. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I feel like I'm like my, my freest self, so to speak that's when I'm out cool. hiking. Yeah, it's almost like you have that sense of play when you get to go hiking. Yeah, and I think hiking and music are the two things where I really get that sense of play. And it's uninhibited because, mm-hmm. like, you can't, like, you you did the thing to its maximum during the allotted time frame that you had to do it. So at the end of the day, you can sort of take solace, like, like, like you played the song, you can't change it. You, mm. it's not like you're writing and you could, you're just looking at it for hours on end, and you take out one thing, and then the whole thing goes downhill because you've taken out something that's quite good. It's like you've moved on from it now, and if you didn't like something you did before, if it's near my, nearby, do it again because it'll be okay there will be symmetry to it Hmm. and I think hiking is like that too because like you can't go back and you can't like oh I didn't hike that well enough it's like you just move (laughs) on and like I I think that I like that Hmm. it sounds like you almost allow yourself to kind of not get trapped with this idea of failure I think as a lot of young people there's this idea of like wanting to be perfect and perfection, but it seems like you through hiking and music kind of there's that degree where you, you know, things happen, you have to let it go and move on. Yeah. And I think that, and I would say that for hiking and music, there's definitely, or for music for sure. Like Mm -hmm. there's definitely is that element of like, I've accepted the move on because, um, I, and I've accepted it there, but so much else is like, no, that's not the case in the rest of my life yet. But <laughs> that'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's really wise um, to have that perspective. I think a lot of people don't have that sort of courage to like be comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. So I think that's really, really cool that that you seem to have that. Thank you. I'd love to kind of dive in a little bit more through your musical journey, um, kind of it seems like you discovered the fiddle and, and how, how is that transformed and shaped? Um, cause it, it does seem like that is a huge part of your identity and I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I was first grade at Trenton elementary school and I was, I was there after school one day and I heard some kid playing the violin that's another thing. When I was when I was little, Gus, I was very insistent that it was called the violin and nothing else. Um, and then I went home that night. I'm like, because I heard the kid from my class playing, and I'm like, whoa, that's really cool. And I went home and I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. That weekend, I got kitted out with a fiddle, or violin fiddle. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> for baby Gus, it was a violin. Yes, for baby Gus, it was a violin, but um. I get kitted out with one up in Bangor. And then I started right in with the Suzuki method, like the twinkle, twinkle, little star and that, the, the, that curriculum. Um, 
And then I would say I was about nine or 10 when I had the next big milestone for me as a, as a young musician, which was I, cause I was, you know, you've played classical music for three years. You're on the route to becoming a music snob. <laughs> um, so I was definitely well on my way there. And my mom had the CD of a band called Vishten. Um, they're from Prince Edward Island. Um, and they play like traditional Acadian music. And my mom got the CD, put it in the radio. And I listened to it and I was awestruck. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was one of those things. We put it in the the CD player and it didn't exit the CD player for over a year. Every car ride, every, it was just the thing that I listened to. And mm -hmm. it was it was great. And that really sent me wanting to do more traditional music. And I started doing more traditional Acadian music and Quebecois music. Cause there's the other thing too, is that um, it's relevant for me as a young Mainer mm -hmm. who is of my, my mom is of Quebecois descent. My, my dad is of, both Acadian and Quebecois descent. So both of that, that, that is relevant music for me. Mm -hmm. And it was cool to sort of explore that a little bit more. And it's, yeah, it's, it, it's stuff that's just supposed to be there for having fun as music. And it's supposed to bring you like this feeling of like, yeah, whenever I play it, I'm sort of thoughtful of, connection with people who are with me people who aren't with me and then you get that really cool thought of i'm connecting with somebody through this music that i don't know who i'm probably not going to speak with when they leave the room but there's still we've shared something and that's a really special thing for me yeah absolutely i think in an age especially um, with the pandemic and, and that idea of seeking connection, I think especially for young people, I mean, just I think being a 20 or 30 year old, just trying to to live that connection is is something of people's search for. So I think how amazing that you you feel like you get to contribute. And it was and to go to COVID directly, like yeah. COVID was really fascinating because I did for the first like probably three months, I did the live stream thing. Mm -hmm. And like people kept asking for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was more depressing than anything to like play to an empty room. And like, I mean, this is no offense to anybody. Like I, 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 I can't read the sweet comments that people are writing while I'm doing the thing. So I don't know what they're saying. I just see like, instead of applause, you get like, yeah. Heart. <laughs> and and that's really sweet. Don't get me wrong, but there was something still that like it didn't quite feel the void of like an audience and sharing the personal connection. But it it was helping. It was there for pe people were enjoying it. Like I had people be like, "Oh, dude, we're listening from Newfoundland. We're listening from the West Coast. We're listening from Portugal. We're listening from Bangladesh. Like all around the world." And like, I'll 
when will I see these people? I don't know, but still sharing that connection with them in theory, like somewhat is still really cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think how music can transcend so much more than just like a place. It's, it's so much broader. It's like almost like fabric in the way humans connect is through music. So I think it's, that's so cool that there was people all around the world who I, w- I wouldn't say like, I would think would tune into more of your style of fiddle because it's so rooted in a specific place, but that's amazing. Yeah, it was really fun. And I mean, that was at a time too, where um, I, I grew up in Maine. I, I went to high school here in Maine. I ultimately got my degree from a university in Maine, but the first bit of my university experience I actually did in Newfoundland. Oh, cool. At Memorial University in Newfoundland. And that was fun meeting a bunch of people from all around the world. And it was one of those things that, like, we didn't really lose touch at the beginning of COVID because we were all going through this, like, what is going on all together. And that was really cool. To, and then the music just brought that to another level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, as a university student, you must have felt somewhat that experience as well. Absolutely. I think for sure there was definitely a huge isolation factor. Um, I, I entered my university during the pandemic, so it was very closed off. I think there was definitely a lot of yearning for connection and seeking of, of people. And I always have this very depressing analogy I describe <laughs> my experience as, but it's really the best way to, to kind of capture it is if you go to a really nice bakery you're looking at all these beautiful treats and, you know, pastries behind this like glass wall. And like, that's how it felt like entering college. Like there was just so much life that wasn't accessible to me at the moment. But I mean, my entire grade went through it. Mm. And, and I think we now looking back all kind of laugh at that, but my grade has the highest dropout rate in my college's history. So (laughs) it's, it's, it's very telling that, it was a really rocky start to a college experience. Yeah. God, it's crazy. It is. Absolutely. Like, were you guys were online probably too, yeah? Yeah. It was weird because um, we were online but also on campus, but we weren't really, like, allowed to leave our dorms all the time. And then when the vaccine started coming out, there was, like, some movement, but we were, like, six feet apart, all masked. And, you know, it was just, like, a lot of, shelteredness um at at my yeah during during my time that's fascinating yeah and it's been weird to see it like slowly open up and see new grades come in that have entered at different times and stages during the pandemic and how vastly different their experience is and i think that's going to be a really interesting thing to look back in like 30 years of like what was this experience for all of us and how that shaped our lives and and maybe really changed trajectories for a lot of people as well. Mm. I guess that's that's kind of life, you know, and you just things get thrown at you and you just have to kind of go along with it. For sure. In any way. Yeah. For sure. And like, yeah, we do what we can all the, all of us all the time. Absolutely. I was just thinking, yeah, just with the pandemic and and playing and and how that yeah, that that just seems really, really cool. But I, I know that what you're feeling, it's almost like still it's like giving like a product to people, but there's still a disconnect. And I wonder now, like, have you seen there's still, I think, a lot of trauma around the pandemic and, and it's still very alive for some people. But I, I wonder like how you've seen things change or 
or is there like a resurgence or just a movement of your own peers that you've noticed kind of coming out or like dealing with this sort of situation? Um, I'll say that for me, it's been very my peer group and like what I wanted to do. Like I went to school for a degree in political science and I was definitely a lot more like international relations mm-hmm. minded as, as like everybody. I'm pretty sure a lot of people who go in with a policy are like, I want to do international relations and see the world. And, yep. and then like, and then during COVID, cause I was in Newfoundland, I came back here mm. and I was like, you know what? Geography looks pretty cool. Like political geography, nice. like, and like critical geographies and like that, that looked really cool to me. So then I was like thinking about that and like, and that changed like who I what who I count like uh corresponded with in like the political science end of things. And then coming back here, I had met so many new people. Um I met my partner and and I had a bubble there and like and now like going back to Newfoundland again, like to sort of rekindle what was lost like it was really Mm -hmm. unfortunate going back and like as it grew on it was more of like oh that was really special while it lasted right and coming back to Maine University of Maine I really like it was not till later that you could be like oh I know I I saw somebody on campus I knew today that Mm -hmm. wasn't in my I couldn't do that Right. So I think COVID was really, it was almost the coming out of it. That was like the isolating part for like, just how it was my, like how my timing went Mm -hmm. was like, oh, I've come out of it. I'm going to go back home and go to my, to the university close to home. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. My personal life was still like, was so great and like mm-hmm. I had a lot of friends I, I playing music like mm-hmm. that's one place where the connections never stop yeah but like that's also g- given me more thought into like how special it is to play music with mm-hmm. a group of people yeah absolutely no I think that's really interesting like you said the the coming out of it can be isolating there's also this happens a lot with young Mainers that there's this push and like want wanting to leave. And I wonder how, because you kind of had that experience, but not entirely. But I wonder also just like, do you feel like you want to stay in Maine or connected to Maine in a different way? Or or is there still longing to maybe leave? I'm just curious where, where you stand on that. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody who's young and from Maine has thought of that hell when I started university I was pretty sure that I was going to go to Canada I was going to get my PR I was going to stay and then it wasn't till I came back due to COVID that it was like well that was back to when like everybody was staying away from each other and like and my 
happy place in unresolved times, hiking. So like driving about and going from hiking spots, like, you know what? That's not half bad, is it? Like, <laughs> like I was like, right. okay, I've definitely taken for granted everything that I grew up with 10 minutes from my house. Um, but um, so that sort of brought me a little bit closer to home, but mm-hmm. I still had never, I still had definitely the thought on my mind of like, go somewhere else have have a go of it and before I sort of had locations thought out and then I was pretty sure that I was going to go back to Canada at some point in 2020 mm. and um, who knows when I would have went back and then I met my partner and I stayed and mm-hmm. um, I I'll go back when I need to mm-hmm. because back then too it was one of those things where all classes were online So I didn't need to be back Mm -hmm. so I could work and I could take courses and do all this stuff. And then I feel like this is really the first time in my life that I've thought I've, it's a completely different way that I would approach this question that you've asked than ever before. Cause like now I'm like, Oh, maybe, maybe someday. Mm Mm-hmm. I just don't know when or to where. Right. That's the that's the big thing for me is like the where bit. Like it's not like, oh, I'm going to go to I'm going to go to Newfoundland and then I'm going to go to Montreal and then I'm going to go to who knows where. And like it's like, I don't know. Let's just let's do what I can here right now. And that that's a really cool place to be is for the first time having to thinking like knowing that leaving is possible and that it's there and like we're surrounded by other places but not feeling the urge to leave immediately Mm -hmm. and I think too as a young person in who's grown up here I can definitely see that this place has changed Mm -hmm. and as annoying as like high tourist season can be in terms of like the crowds and all that. And sometimes gray days in the winter can be rough, but it is a time in Maine where like things are pretty good. Mm -hmm. Like there are, we've got a creative bunch. We've got hardworking people who are young people. We've got creative people. And that's, that's a really cool thing to like, Oh, we could, let's be a part of something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You're from Maine, right? Or uh, More or less. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what are your thoughts on that? It's like another young person. Yeah. I mean, I think for myself, I also had a lot of love-hate relationships with Maine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now as I've gotten older, and I, I would say probably through the pandemic as well, I, I feel like a more strong sense of identity to Maine than I ever did before. Mm-hmm. I think also going to school and, and maybe getting frustrated with people just being from other places and and not really caring to learn about Maine and in the state and I was really interested in politics growing up so I would I was very aware of Maine issues and and I think now there's there's a sense of community and also knowing that Maine is one of the oldest states or the oldest state that there has to be the next generation mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's just the reality of like basic like population um, like stats like we just need young people to stay and I think you know 
there's there's now a lot more drive in, in, in me to be a part of that movement. And But I think it's true. I think often we need to be reminded of what good we have. I, I did a study abroad situation where I was in Mexico, which was amazing. But I had so much um, just lingering thoughts of I want to be home. And I think home has always been a really interesting word for myself. And it felt interesting that more and more when I pictured home, I pictured like the woods of Maine. And and that was a really interesting self-realization. And but I know so many people that just feel like, you know, depending on what career path they want, like there there there's a lot of struggle and it's not easy. But I think if if you can carve out a niche or or have an opportunity, it's it's also a great place to be for sure. That's yeah, the home being something completely different for every young manor, I think is another beautiful thing Mm. that we're finally unpacking yeah like because like there is the home being like oh for someone from down east the home is something like historically was more maritime centered or my parents were from Millinocket Mm -hmm. and like a bunch of my people like were from Millinocket for them it was paper mills for their parents it was Aroostook County and the potato fields and like the fact that everybody has their own vision of what Maine is and that we can all make them work together yeah is really cool whereabouts in Maine are you from well um my family moved to southern Maine was when I was about 10 so more outside of Portland and then I've been up this way for for school um, so I always felt a bit of, I didn't have the long legacy of Maine. Um, I, you know, my parents, we didn't know anyone in Maine when we moved here. So I think there was a lot of identity struggles of like, can I be, well, I can't technically be a Mainer, but like I am a Mainer <laughs> and yeah. now we've lived in the state longer than any state we've ever lived in. So I feel now confident and comfortable. It took a while to be like, no, I'm from Maine. I I am a Mainer. But yeah, I think just learning about history and and so many people. And I know like there's so many people in the town I I came from, which which was which is Gorham. Mm-hmm. There's people that have been there for generations. Their family. There's so much history and tied to place, which I think is amazing. I think also it can be difficult when you enter that community without having that sense of history. But it but also I think that there's like you were mentioning we as a generation can also reclaim what that looks like to us. And I think having more nuance and, and grace and, and what a Mainer can look like, I think is also a really awesome opportunity. Yeah. Like you said, there's there's so much history and so much to learn about Maine and so much that other people coming from different places can also bring to Maine. Maine is it? Yeah. This is, I think, the most in Maine's history that it really is an idea. Ooh, I like that. Like Maine is an idea for, because like a big part of Maine too is being, that I see in my work as a young Mainer is mm-hmm. being welcoming mm. to like, while that old, like that old, like crotchety, like <laughs> attitude is, it's, it's for a time endearing. Mm-hmm. Like the oh, so are you not from here? But like that's a great main accent. <laughs> but like thinking about that, like it is now, like it, we can be so much more 
Like we can be like, oh yeah, come on in. Like be welcoming. Like yeah. and because it it is an idea. Because so many people from around the world are coming. Like so many people have come throughout personally. My my main experience is different mm-hmm. because my like my great great grandfather came to the United States um since he bought he bought cheap land and came from Quebec after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. My other great grandfather bought he he had a store in Millinocket, a storefront in, in the the old Italian neighborhood in mm. Millinocket. And he came over and he helped other young Italians come over. And like seeing that Maine is definitely a potpourri of so many diverse. And then seeing being in Lewiston and seeing the vibrance of the Somali community down yeah. there. It's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then thinking too, like musically, mm-hmm. Maine has always been sort of this confluence for the fiddle mm-hmm. of Cape Bretoners and Irish people and and Quebecois and New England people all going through Maine with their they're not losing anything of who they are, but they're going to share that and they're doing it in Maine. So like a great main fiddle player called Don Roy once I, I was talking with him about like, what is, what is Franco American fiddle music to, mm-hmm. to you? And he's like, well, Maine is an Ellis Island of fiddle. Mm. And I, that image kept it stuck with me hardcore. And I think it's something that I carry when I, whenever I think of what, mm. what we, our job is as young Mainers. Right. And this main is an idea. You are listening to the Next Wave Radio Hour on WERU. My name is Olivia Peruk, and you are listening to a conversation I had with Gus Lacasse, a local Downey's main fiddler. We continue our conversation on what is the idea of Maine and the responsibilities we have as young Mainers. Do you feel do you feel like there's conflict um, between different generations on what that looks like? I'm sure. Um, I mean, I think there's conflicts with not only like yeah i think if we unpacked it there would be a lot mm-hmm. i mean what your your thoughts have you talked about this with like with uh, like older people or not a ton but i i do i i think also curious because i think that there's always with generations and almost like passing a baton there's there's different things i know within like my generation and our generation there's a lot more conversations happening about things that were not discussed you know 40, 50 years ago. And I think that it's, it's interesting, this idea. I know like specifically now, like the housing crisis in mm. Maine is really, really apparent. And I know that there's a huge push and pull of, even I feel it a bit like a crotchety manner for all the people who buy like vacation homes and <laughs> then like they're empty, like pretty much 11 months out of the year. Like I just, and, and so I think there's like this interesting kind of dichotomy of 
you know, how can you have an identity as a place, but also, you know, kind of merge. And I think that Maine is also so unique because I think that there is like the generational gap almost, or just like, it feels like new and old sometimes are sometimes like the two sides of a different coin. Yeah. But it's, it's, but I don't know. I, I, I just would be curious for people listening to this, their perspectives as well. I think the housing is a really interesting point yeah. because like, are those people who own those houses actually like, it's sort of, I forget whose idea it is, but it's only an idea if you subscribe to it, mm. validity. Mm -hmm. So like those people from California who don't subscribe to the idea that Maine is currently an idea that is trying to be opening and welcoming, they just buy this property. Right. So like it's that that complicates it for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, absolutely. I know housing is very contentious now. And I think for a lot of young people, just which is also, I think, the sad part of young people who actually do want to stay in Maine, just finding a place to stay. Oh, yeah. Super hard. Almost I, impossible. I worked with Maine People's Alliance for a little bit this summer. Um and that was one of the things we'd canvas on. And that elicited so like young and old, mm -hmm. like so many different things like like wanting to meet like you had the people who like, oh, we're ninth generation from Maine and like so and so bought this land and we're fine. But I don't know how you how you other young people are going to make it. Mm -hmm. Then you've got like. The person who's not from Maine but wants so much to make it work, yeah, and using those words like I want to yeah, yeah. make make I want to make Maine work, mm -hmm. and like it's it's such a such a muddy subject the housing. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. I think it's and and maybe that's one of those ways, like you were saying, almost like across generations that there is a sort of agreement of just like it's difficult. For everybody, mm -hmm. except maybe a very select group of people who may or may not live in Maine full time. Yeah. So I think that's really fascinating for sure. Being a young person in Maine obviously provides a lot of unique challenges. Do you think that there's any other big challenges to young people in Maine that might be different than in other states? I'm trying to think of how best to answer this. Um, I would say that. Yeah, what do you think on that question? Just so, <laughs> just to get get started, like I know it was supposed sure. to be my job, but like, <laughs> no, no, I think this is wonderful. Um, sure, I think I, I don't know. Being in Maine is is really interesting. I think I think for myself, I wonder a bit about connection and depending on like community, because I think Maine often there's pockets of community, but you can also be very spread out mm -hmm. and there's a bit of isolation just built into like Maine. It's a huge state. Like I think people forget how big Maine is mm -hmm. <laughs> until I drive home and I'm like, oh man, that was like three and a half hours. And like that was like half the state. So I wonder also I've seen in a lot of, I mean, this is something that I'm really passionate about, but I think mental health and mental health crises that go on in the state, I think Maine and like a lot of rural communities really struggle. And I wonder if that would be something that jumps to my mind. That's a really, as somebody who like, who thinks about mental, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't call myself like a ardent advocate or anything. And for one position on mental health, but like, yeah, 
now that you've brought space into it, like the importance of being able to get everybody the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think working with education yeah, too, like how can you ensure that a kid in Senegat is going to get as good a education in a specific thing too? Say that kid wants mm-hmm. to learn computer science. Yeah. Are they going to be able to learn computer science as well as the kid in Sako who has the quicker internet and the and the school with more money and funds dumped into it? Mm-hmm. Like that, that shouldn't be. And then when online classes are the only option, that's a tricky one. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think your mental health thing too is great because like the, I think that so many that's another really interesting thing too to see in Maine is that these discussions are beginning to happen. Yes. And that gives me hope. Like mm-hmm. as like a young Maine person is like that Maine, the gruffness is a really important part of who we can be, but that also needs to be able to be accepting. It, it can't just be like, Oh, pull your bootstrap Straps. up over your head. Like mm-hmm. it, it needs to be like, Oh, you got to do this before you can do that. I think in ensuring that sort of equity mm. in the mental health and like in education is important. Yeah. Cause I think about if I, if, if you or I grew up in a different main town than we, where we grew up, yeah, we couldn't have, how do we know we could have gotten here? It's true. I think that's a really fair point. I mean, I feel very fortunate to have been in the school system I was in because I know that like my town had a really great public um, school, but I know that there's so many other students and, and young people in Maine who don't have access to that just simply based on location. Any place that is large and also more rural, just hospitals aren't, you know, always close or other things. Like I think the distance and needing to be scrappy and independent, which I think a lot of Mainers tend to be pretty entrepreneurial <laughs> because of that just lack of of assistance sometimes. But I do think, you know, if we want to build the strong next generation of Mainers, that those are conversations that probably need to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious about your education. Do you, do you feel like you had a good education from I was very lucky um, because I went to the Bay School for a good part of my primary school and middle school. And so that really shaped me as like that was able to work with, I think, an education that could work with who you are as an individual. Mm-hmm. I was a very creative, high strung kid. Mm-hmm. At the time I was in a school that didn't that like I just didn't vibe with. Mm. But then being able to go to a school that was accepting of like creative children or I'm not going to say creative, but like of like children who are not who don't succumb to cookie cutters um i think that was important and for everybody to be able to have that so i was lucky that i was able to go to the bay school Mm -hmm. and express creative outlets there and like see that play is good in an education place um i think too when i went back i went to mdi high school for yeah, high school. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and then and and that was an interesting time for me because that had given me a context of how I knew I could be as a student. Mm. 
Like it was now up to me. I think what I'm trying to get at is that it's a main needs to be a place where people can, they can be who they want. They mm-hmm. can, if they feel a certain draw toward something, they should be able to realize it to its maximum. So like, I think going to the base school taught me that I can, I'm fine with being creative, I like having creative, playful energy. Mm-hmm. And then going to high school taught me, okay, here's, let's try using it. Oh, yeah. And I think, so to speak. So I think mm-hmm. that some having that accessible for all main people should be important. Like, would you stay though still like, a, although like, because there's a difference between being in a good school system mm-hmm. and one that's acceptable of different types of learning. <laughs> Where would you say on that? Yeah, I would I would say that definitely for most public schools, I mean, I think throughout the country, there is a very specific type of student that they are wanting or creating you to be. I definitely, I mean, throughout my whole life, my mom always said, um, I always wanted to be homeschooled. I want to do online school. I didn't really want to be in school. I love learning, but I definitely felt I had a more non-traditional like you said, almost that inner calling. And I just, I think through the school systems, I just learned how to be a really good student on their kind of system. So I think I lost a lot of my identity in certain ways. And I always felt like I wasn't truly myself at school. Like there was always a missing part. Like I wasn't fully authentic all the time, just because there wasn't space to fully be authentic because of just, just the expectations of what, what it meant to be a good student. So yeah, I mean, I got a lot of great education, a lot of great learning experiences, but I definitely know for me and a lot of my friends, we just, the idea of school, it's just not, it just didn't vibe with where we were in our life. I think that's why I went to a really non-traditional college (laughs) because I was really over the, yeah, like the cookie cutter type. And I think it doesn't serve a lot of people. But at the same time, I, I recognize the privilege I had to at least have access to some good programs. And I, I did get to do some really awesome, creative, cool, fulfilling things. Say if I went to a school that allowed me to be more of my individual, probably more aligned with who I am, maybe would have changed my outlook on education. That's really cool that you you got that experience, though. I mean, you make it happen, too. Like, I was very, like, and that's another thing, too, is like, I, I don't want to say that I make it happen. I was very lucky to be <laughs> an only child right, with supportive yeah. parents. Yeah. Like, that's, I think that's something that needs to be thrown out in the forefront of like, I was very lucky. Because mm-hmm. I also had parents, too, who were like, you know what? Like, yeah. you, you don't enjoy school, do you? <laughs> <laughs> that's so fascinating. Yeah. What I, I'm always so curious to talk to only children um because i feel like there's a very it's like i feel like a lot of the personality types of (laughs) only children there's like i know there's like this very strong confidence do you feel like or or just i'm not sure just like us like having all the attention on you as a kid do you do you feel like maybe being an only child how that's maybe shaped your your personality or your how you interact in the world i think um I wouldn't say it made me confident. I I feel very, I have my own like, like, um, worries and like, like I can be a bit of a a bit introverted and a bit 
worrisome sometimes. So I wouldn't say I have a confidence, but I would say they had to learn to grow up quick. Mm. And I think being a musician, yeah. like I, I played my first gig, regular gig in public at like, geez, age 10. Wow. So yeah. like I, I had to grow up quick. Mm. And I would say that being an only child, like I definitely got a taste of what it was like sort of two worlds diverged or, mm. or converged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting that you, yeah, growing up quickly, do you feel so kind of only children, but also like you said, music and just being, you know, in a public space gigging. Yeah. Yeah. What is the process of feeling like you have to grow up fast? Yeah. I feel, I think it's one of those things I don't really notice a half of, a process is just like oh it happens like mm -hmm. like okay um i am going in front of a crowd of people i need to conduct myself a certain way <laughs> right, like, right 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 like oh i need to watch what i say or like okay i need to play a certain i need to play certain songs because those are what i know i can play and like i don't want to look um, professional like learning what was considered professional and what mm. was considered unprofessional mm -hmm. at an early age I think was really good for me as like someone who's going to become a young professional and who still plays music like I have got a solid grounding in what works um how even too in terms of like leadership qualities like mm -hmm. it can help me to like conduct myself with decorum right that's really really interesting yeah having to um be professional at such a young age I think um a lot of children don't have that experience <laughs> having to learn to to be present in in a world of adults yeah yeah. So that's really, really interesting. Um, thank you for sharing. Yeah, anytime. Yeah. Do you do you feel like um well, cause it seems like you still in your philosophy of playing, still like play is just like a big part. But do you ever feel there's like um a tension between having to be professional and maybe growing up faster than some people, but but also I don't know, but because I, I feel like when kids grow up fast, there's sometimes a, a longing or a missing of what a childhood a normal childhood could have been i think i still definitely have that like um i another outlet for me when i was younger was soccer mm -hmm. like i i loved playing soccer and i mean it just got to a point where like i had had head injuries so i couldn't really but um i would say though that with regards to like playing and having a a philosophy of like play in the music is like I think my genre lends itself kind of well to having a like a pre having songs that you know you can play mm -hmm. but you can create medleys so and mm. that medley can be as short or as long as you want it to be so like if I want to go play 20 minutes if I go 20 minutes I don't feel like stopping I can do that mm -hmm. if I want to jam on a tune till it gets old i can do that too yeah <laughs> like and i think that's a really cool thing about the discipline that mm. would help me as a musician i think it's a it's tolerant of a playful attitude i think too and i think as well there's a certain bit of knowing about 
how you are feeling at the time. Like you can let your emotions out, but if you don't feel like talking sometimes on stage, you don't feel, don't have to feel the need to talk about like ad nauseum about like certain things or certain songs. You just like, okay, I'm going to play some tunes now (laughs) and then just go for it. Like Mm -hmm. it's sort of, yeah. Yeah. I think a big part of like growing up on stage is like learning to how to be comfortable, but still be able to, move on move things along mm. and yeah do you play yourself any i i mean i i dabble in things i feel i'm more of a jack of all trades sort of instrument person <laughs> i love just like picking up and learning i'm definitely not proficient in any one thing but i think i i love to sing that's i just make random songs up all the time so i'd say that's probably the thing i'm most proficient in just because i've been singing since i was like born but yeah i think the idea of play and music i have a similar philosophy it's just just for fun like i just pick up like my ukulele or my guitar and sing along and i just make up random songs and then just go on with my day i think so often in society we you know you're like go to work you have like the job and you you have all these pressures of like what it means to be a person <laughs> in society. And I think that often, especially in the U.S. context, and and we just lose like, like the sense of play and wonder and awe. And, and we just get like almost like sheep, kind of like just like this is the path you take. Yeah. Um, but I think music can be so much more than that. And I think sort of to go back to like on when we were discussing on earlier, the suffering musician complex. Right. Yes. Like, um, I think the our, the way we look at it, like if you, and again, sort of back to that idea of like, if you accept the validity of something gonna run, that is gonna run, like, like yes, like capitalism is this thing that runs everything, that it is the overarching system, but it doesn't need to affect how you see your music and how mm. you do your thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just I think it's. To really be able to be free, you just don't need, you just need to be. I like it. That could be a bumper sticker. (laughs) To be free, just be. Yeah, all it is 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 sort of deal. (laughs) Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think often we can overcomplicate things, but I think that's also a very natural part of being human is just trying to put a name on something because ultimately too like some people try to overcomplicate things because they're looking for that other box they're right. to overcomplicate is just to look for another box mm-hmm. that is already there yeah what we're not trying to do that <laughs> you're making up a song right that you're going to forget about exactly yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's beautiful <laughs> like like somebody's like oh what songs did you just play like, right (laughs) yeah it was like spur of the moment spontaneity yeah exactly that's really cool yeah i like i like that idea so we're kind of winding down to the end of the hour and usually we kind of have a tradition of ending a little bit more on if you feel like there was any life advice or something that you feel like you would have loved to have said to a younger version of yourself it can be really any age but if there's something that you could tell to a younger guest that maybe as a life lesson you've learned so far in your life, what, what would it be? Don't hack a tree down, only prune it. Oh, I like that. I think cause, cause um, I, when I think of how we, how we've been talking about, like just because you're having fun doesn't mean there isn't room to improve something. 
if you want to keep it going. Mm-hmm. If you want it, if you want to keep having fun, you need to change some things to ensure that you can keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if you've got something and it's growing, let it grow. But if it's it becomes hazardous, you could change it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think too that that was big for me because I. Like that was one of the big reasons I didn't go to music school because I wanted to have fun. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want to go to a music school where where X musician sounds just like Y musician because they had the same teacher mm-hmm. or because they used the same. No, no, no. That's that's then you might as well hack a tree down. Just let it let yourself go your own way. And I think musically that's important. I think in life that's important. And I think because that's ultimately where you get like this true, that's why you can have hike, like for me, hiking or moments of music that are, that you feel independent from everything else and think new ideas and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I'm wondering if, you have any advice for people that feel um, afraid to maybe step into that more individualized or, you know, going off the beaten path per se? It, is there any any tips or tricks <laughs> that you could give people that maybe feel? It's only a path if it's a bunch of steps. Nice. So like if you're if your thing for music, if you know you can play music and you're scared of playing in front of audiences, that first step, just take that one step. That's just step in front of the audience. Mm-hmm. And then you've played music before. So like, and you'll just like, oh, you'll do the thing. And if it doesn't need to go as rehearsed, mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's so I would just say, go, just go with it mm-hmm. and would have fun. Like, I think supreme fun, <laughs> like, like, or um, maximum fun. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a better word for it. Yeah. I like it. Just go for it. Yeah. Almost being comfortable challenging yourself to take that first baby step um, that maybe changes the momentum and then focusing on, yeah, what what you want to get out of it. Yeah. Which is for a lot of people is fun and pleasure I like that. I mean, the pursuit of happiness kind of written in <laughs> the Constitution, but I kind of like the pursuit of fun. Should like pursue fun. What they should have wrote. Yeah. Life, liberty, and fun. Fun. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Gus. This has been really wonderful. Um, and I guess just for this is just like for myself. Do you want to like clear the air on how your last name is pronounced? (laughs) Because I know that there is there is a story. There is a story. This could be wonderful. So I could like include the story because I only in, in the beginning, I only introduced myself as Gus. Yes. So like if this, this is like a, it's like a, a asterisk you can add. to yeah. the Yeah. So my grandmother or my grandfather, Robert Lacasse is how he pronounced his name. He married an Italian girl called Carmen DiNardo. And she said Lacasse. My dad said Lacasse. My mom says Lacasse. I had a rule that I would say Lacasse when abroad, but then I lived in Newfoundland and I just never changed back. 
So I really don't care how you say it. Just as long as it's not lack ass, it's still <laughs> two syllables. Yeah. It's fine. That's there you go. A little funny family trivia. Here, here. Yeah. Just baked into the fabric of our beings. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much. Um, that'll be a great little asterisk to include. <laughs> thank you so much. My name is Olivia Peruk, and this has been the Next Wave Radio Hour. I wanted to give a huge thank you to my guest today, Gus Lacasse. Thank you also to the Maine Community Foundation for supporting this program. Our theme music is by Zeke Zacharides. You can find an archive of this and every other episode of Next Wave at weru.org and wherever you get your podcasts. Please do go back and listen to them if you liked this episode. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email nextwaveradio at weru.org. I would absolutely love to hear from you. Next Wave Radio Hour airs on the fourth Thursday of every month at 4 p.m. Until next time, take care and remember, you are not alone.